and welcome to MonarchCast. I'm Claire. I'm Allie. And today we are continuing with our series on deposed kings and queens, otherwise known as the series where everybody loses their head or something like that. Or is starved to death. Or is starved to death. Or, or in today's case, smothered. <laughs> mysteriously died under mysterious circumstances. Today we are talking about Henry VI, otherwise known as a Lancastrian disappointment. All right, so we're going to just jump right in because we have a lot to discuss today. And full disclosure at the beginning here, um, we are going to talk a lot about the Wars of the Roses today, but I have focused a lot more on everything leading up to that and distilled the wars of the roses down to just the battles that you need to know because it was a very long period of time lots of skirmishes lots of periods of uneasy peace and the point of the story really today is henry the sixth so that's what i focused on so when we say we're finally doing the wars of the roses we're still doing like a (laughs) drive-by well I just don't think anybody really wants to hear okay they had a battle and then and then they chased each other around the countryside and then they had another battle and this duke that nobody ever talked about was instrumental to saving the day you know what I mean that stuff's I'm more interested in the motivations behind everything and you can find more on the Wars of the Roses in our Elizabeth Woodville episode. Yes, and we will talk about her a little bit today because um, I'm relying on that episode to fill in some of the blanks as well. So where we left off is Henry IV had stolen the throne from Richard II, and the House of Lancaster was officially on the throne. And if we recall, many were not exactly happy about this development, thinking that Henry did not have the better claim to the throne and if you remember at the end of our episode last week his claim was a little dubious because he wasn't relying on his descent through his father he was relying on his descent through his mother which opened up a whole can of worms regarding maternal succession and which law do you follow and all of that so that's where we left off but the reign of his son Henry V actually did a lot to dispel the complaints that existed when Henry the fourth took the throne. So I'm just going to give you a brief summary of the reign of Henry V. Uh, There is a movie out right now called The King um, with Timothy, is it Chalamet or Chalamet? Chalamet. Um, Chalamet. And um, I think that's based on Shakespeare's Henry V. I'm not actually sure. It doesn't actually look like that interesting of a movie, but it's all about Henry V. So if you're interested in that, I say go watch that movie. But Henry V took the throne in 1413, and he ruled until his death in 1422. So as you see, that's not really a very long reign, um, but he was very popular. In fact, I think he's like one of the most popular English kings. Um, And in large part, that's due to his military victories against the French, his continuation of the Hundred Years' War. Most famously, he won the Battle of Agincourt, that's how Agincourt. Agincourt, thank you. In 1415, where they just completely decimated the French forces with an exhausted army. It was a miracle they won. It was a whole thing. And so the English people really loved him because he was doing a lot for England's campaign in France. He did survive an early attempt to put Edmund Mortimer on the throne, which if you recall was descended from the second son, Lionel of Antwerp of John of Gaunt, and he's um, one of the 
forefathers of the Yorkist claim. And really his focus was defeating the French. That's basically his entire reign was on campaign in France. He did marry Catherine of Valois, who was the daughter of Charles VI of France. And she was actually the younger sister of Richard II's widow. So, you know, that's kind of interesting. But for a long time, they were intermarrying with the French. And as you'll see today, they continue to do so. And the two so of them... So they're battling the French, but they're also marrying the French. It's, it's very complicated. Mm. Um, I would imagine and, that these weddings came out of like peace treaties and like attempts to kind of stop fighting they did then Then it never went very well and so henry and catherine have a son also named henry unfortunately for everybody henry v died on campaign in france leaving his baby son to take the throne and as we just talked about last week with richard ii and we've covered before this never really works out in anyone's favor so here we are at the reign of Henry VI. So as we just mentioned, he came to the throne in 1422 at the death of his father at the tender age of nine months. So he has the distinction of being the youngest ever to succeed to the English throne. I'm um, sure he was wise beyond his years. I think probably the only person that has him beat would be Mary, Queen of Scots, who, if we remember, took the throne at six days old. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the English throne, he's got the title. And it's interesting because we just talked about the marriage of his father to the French princess. Um, she was prevented from having a significant role in his reign due to the fact that she was French. So no one trusted her. They just didn't trust her motivations. They thought there's no way she can raise a good English king. She had some control at the beginning because he was obviously a baby. But as he got older, um, she was pretty much excluded from his upbringing. And interesting note about Catherine of Valois. She ended up um, I believe first having an affair with, but then later marrying a Welshman named Owen Tudor mm-hmm. and had several children with him. Uh, their sons, Edmund and Jasper, lived to adulthood and will go on to play a pretty significant role later in our tale. But that name I might know be ringing that name. some Yeah, that name <laughs> might be ringing some bells. So, uh, you know, Henry Tudor, the eventual Henry VII, you know, had, had a pretty good lineage the problem was it was all cadet branches but that's getting way way ahead of us here um so anyway henry the sixth is on the throne and he has a regency council which is headed by his uncle the duke of bedford who is uh henry the fifth's brother and since the duke of bedford is also in charge of france and spends a lot of time there henry's other uncle the duke of gloucester takes over in England, and then his half-uncle, Henry Beaufort, later Cardinal Cardinal Beaufort, also had a significant role. So you might remember the Beauforts were the half-siblings of Henry IV. They are the product of the relationship between John of Gaunt and Catherine Swinford, his third wife. They had several children. They were legitimized, but excluded from the succession. But they're very powerful yes Beaufort is also a familiar name (laughs) yes yes 
So Henry is also crowned King of France. So he's also the only English monarch to accomplish this after the death of Charles VI. So all you have to know about France is that France is also quite a mess at this time because when Charles VI died, he was succeeded by the Dauphin, who became Charles VII, but there were nobles in France who didn't want him on the throne, so they crowned Henry instead. It's it's, And the, of course, the English have been claiming the throne anyway the entire time, so it's, it's, all, it's, just, it's just a mess in both places, and that's all you really have to know about that. But he does consider himself the King of France and the King of England. He finally assumes full power at the age of 16. Um, unfortunately, by then, that's been 16 years of England being ruled by this Regency Council, and England's fortunes in France were falling largely due to uh, the victories of Joan of Arc. Just hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. And the kingdom at home is in somewhat of a disarray because there's just too many cooks in the kitchen trying to manage affairs. Um, but Henry 16, he's deemed worthy to take over the rule on his own and the first thing he does is he says i favor peace with france so this is not very popular because this is we're smack dab in the middle of the hundred years that make up the hundred years war and um, this immediately starts to lead to the development of factions in his court which eventually spoiler alert will lead to his downfall so he doesn't get off to a very auspicious start from the very beginning the next thing really important in the reign of Henry VI is his marriage. So when Henry came of age, it was also time for him to marry like any king before him. And like any political marriage, this needs to be advantageous, both abroad and at home. And this is where it gets a little interesting because Henry and his advisors made a bit of an odd choice. So we just talked about how the English kings were marrying the French princesses and... Mm -hmm. Nobody wants him, he, he, there's, there's no French princess available for him, but they're saying, you know what, we really should find someone in France. The thing is that France, as I mentioned, was kind of a mess. So the French monarchy is facing its own struggles with the nobles in France. Several of the counts and dukes are in direct opposition to the, the French throne. So the English side is looking to take advantage of this a little bit so they get they they land on margaret of anjou and before this they had suggested marriage alliances with scotland um i think the daughter of the french king actually was suggested at one point but quickly poo-pooed the duke of orleans i think is how you say that he's um a prominent noble in France, and he also wants peace for France and England. And the best way on that side to do that is to arrange a marriage with England. So there are people in France who support this. And Cardinal Beaufort suggests the French king's niece, who happens to be Margaret of Anjou. The Earl of Suffolk supports this, as did the Duke. So the Duke of, and then the, the Duke of Gloucester, who, if you remember, is on the Regency Council, he's against it, but he's overruled. So they all decide that Margaret is the one. So here's the thing about Margaret of Anjou. is She's said to be very beautiful, but she also has no dowry. Hmm. Her father, so is that the oddness? That's the oddness. So what's the she's not bringing any wealth, and she's not really bringing political connections because her father was the Duke of Anjou and also called himself the King of Naples, Sicily, and Jerusalem. But this is all in name only. He He's hmm. known as a man of many crowns, but no kingdoms. 
And I think that I think that was the quote that I read about him. So she's raised in courts in France and Italy, and she's very well educated. And the reason that the family was prominent in France is because her father's sister is married to the French king. So they don't have any money, they don't have any land, but they have a lot of political power in France. So they've basically been elevated by association, but she's not really going to be able to like translate that exactly power. She's not bringing anything to France, and the kicker is that she's not bringing anything from sorry, she's not bringing anything from France to England, but she's taking from England and giving to France. So Henry puts the Earl of Suffolk in charge of the marriage. And the terms of the marriage are that the French demand that Henry gives them the territories of Maine and Anjou back to the French in exchange for this marriage to take place. They also have to pay for the wedding because Margaret has no money. Hmm. And so Suffolk agrees to all of this. But the terms are so bad that they're kept secret for years because they're not going to be popular. He also arranged a two-year truce. The whole idea of this marriage was to force a peace between England and France, but the best they can do is a two-year truce. Hmm. And that agreement is known as the Treaty of Tours. So she's not even bringing... No, she's not bringing money. She's losing them territory. And she's not even bringing at least the mention of a permanent peace. Like, you would expect maybe peace doesn't hold, but, like, they're not even expecting permanent peace out of this. Like, okay, 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 like, two years. That's it. It's it's a really... It's a bad deal. Bad deal, exactly. And that's what I mean by they made an odd choice. It just, it doesn't make any sense, but... And it seems odd in that, like, that this is the best they could do? Like, is she really the best option, or it's just the one that they stupidly went with well henry's also a 16 year old boy and once he saw her portrait and learned she was very mm. beautiful that was kind of it he was okay so really they're just trying to appease like a, a young boy got it yes and so the marriage because these young kings are wise beyond their years of course of <laughs> course they're ordained they they have uh, all the wisdom they could possibly need so the marriage takes place and but I have to, the reason I'm talking about this is that this marriage, you don't talk about the reign of Henry VI without talking about Margaret of Anjou. And right. it has a lot. We talked impact. about her a little bit, I think, before. We, yeah, we mentioned her a little bit when we talked about some of the Wars of the Roses piece because she was, I mean, at the end, she basically became a general. I mean, she was very, very competent and shrewd, but um, as we'll see, her impact was mostly negative. Um, she was a force, um, not content to sit quietly in the background. She was very loyal to her husband from the very beginning. Um, and she targeted those she saw as disloyal to him. So when we talked about the development of factions around him, she really fed into that. She allies herself with the Beauforts thinking that this is helping her husband because her husband was very fond of the Beauforts. They have a lot of power. They support their staunch Lancastrians. So she thinks if I ally myself with them, I'm I'm doing nothing but good. But this has the effect of putting her in direct opposition to the Duke of Gloucester and as we'll see later, the Duke of York. And the reason is because neither of these Dukes approve of the heavy Beaufort influence. Quick side question. Mm -hmm. Is the Duke of York the same as the Yorks? This is, um, we'll talk about this a little bit later. I'll go into who the factions are, but we're talking about Richard Plantagenet, third Duke of York. Okay, so like when we say the Duke of York, we do mean the Yorks. Yes, 
Oh, yes. Okay. This is the York. Like, as in the York's in the York-Lancaster divide. Yes. Got it. Yes. Because I know there's, like, the Duke of York, but, like, I didn't know if maybe at this point the Duke of York was actually a York. He is. And so okay. the, the Duke of York, if you recall, was one of the um, titles created by Edward III. Right. And this... This has been inherited, if you remember, and I'll talk about this in a second. I'll get to that. But this cl- the Yorkists are very intermarried and just they have tentacles all stretching up several different ways to Edward III. So right. the point I'm trying to make right now, though, is that from the very beginning, she's got enemies. And she doesn't see anything wrong with that because this is the French and Italian way. She was raised in the court of Naples. She was raised in the court of France. This is how they rule. But it's not the English way. And it leads to a lot of problems. Um, In fact, Margaret has been compared to Isabella, who was Edward II's wife, also known as the She-Wolf of France. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the one who deposed her own husband (laughs) in favor of her son and tried to give her lover power. Really recommend that book, by the way. She-Wolves. I would like to read that. But the reality is that really I'm trying to make is that Henry is a weak ruler. He's not interested in ruling. The things Henry is most interested in is prayer. He's very pious. He, he's just not interested in running the country and he's easily governed by his favorites because he, he grew up with people ruling for him. So he, you know, he didn't develop an independent sense of self and then come to the throne. He was always on the throne. And that's that's what made him such a weak ruler. And Margaret, she just takes on more and more as she basically realizes, okay, my husband's incompetent. I'm going to do his job for him. And you basically have an 18-year-old woman ruling England through her husband. So let's talk about these. It's going to end well. It's not going to end well. So let's talk about these factions. So I mentioned the Duke of Gloucester, and that's Henry's uncle. Um, he's, his main gripe basically is that he's just opposed to the influence of the Beauforts led mainly by Cardinal Beaufort, who is Henry's half uncle. Um, he's very powerful and he has a lot of money that he loans to the crown and this helps the Beauforts rise in power. We also have the Duke of Somerset, who is Edmund Beaufort and he is the Cardinal's nephew. And we have the Duke of Suffolk. And both of these gentlemen are significant because they were created dukes by Henry. And this is the first time this has happened for non-princes. So for the first time, you see people who are not brothers of the king or sons of the king receiving the ducal title. So that so it's like didn't sit well. Political favors, basically. Political favors, but also remember, providing land, wealth, power, prestige. Mm-hmm. Normally that was reserved for the immediate royal family and it's starting to spread out and you'll see the impact of that. Um, Somerset and Suffolk also orchestrated the downfall of Gloucester and cemented their faction as the favorites for Henry. So they're allied with Margaret as well. Um, Henry thinks they can do no wrong. They do a lot wrong and he supports them for a really long time. And then we also have the Duke of York. So as I mentioned, this is Richard Plantagenet, third Duke of York. He is the great-grandson of Edward III through his father and the great-great-great-grandson through his mother. So he's doubly descended from Edward III. He's also married to Cecily Neville, who and the Nevilles are a very powerful family. So 
she also is descended from Edward III. So their children were descended three different ways from Edward III through Lionel of Antwerp, John of Gaunt, and Edmund of Langley. So their claim is incredibly strong. It's the better claim. It's the better claim, exactly. And York really, he doesn't care about that. He just doesn't like the influence of the other factions on Henry. Because remember, Edward V's reign did a lot to legitimize the Lancastrian hold on power. So despite the claim he may have personally, he's loyal to Henry. He just wants Henry to be a good king. Henry treats him terribly, but despite all of that, he never had any designs on the throne. So Henry sent him to Normandy, and he was basically running Normandy for Henry, maintaining the troops, um, maintaining the peace, or, you know, systematic, you know, Normandy had to be defended. And remember, Normandy goes back to Henry II, so they don't want to lose this territory. But Henry just kind of left him there. So York pays for all of this. He spent his entire fortune holding Normandy for Henry, and Henry never even gave him so much as a thank you. So that's what a great king. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem is he had, but, but meanwhile, while this is happening, Somerset. So I didn't put this in. I wasn't going to talk about this, but it's actually, I'll, I'll talk about it quickly. So York gets recalled from Normandy and sent to Ireland. And like, he's very pissed about this because he spent all his money in Normandy, but at least he had the prestige of holding Normandy for the king. But then he gets sent to Ireland and Henry sends the Duke of Somerset to Normandy to take his place. And he basically runs it into the ground. He's a terrible military commander, but he gets heaps of praise from Henry for doing so. So this starts to sow the seeds of resentment from York. So all of this leads up to the year 1450. So at this point, Henry's been on the throne for about 30 years. Um, But by this point, the kingdom is so poorly run. Henry's court is so divided and split into factions that the public is aware of the issues and they're starting to turn on them. So the public first turns on the Duke of Suffolk and he tries to shore up his position in power by betrothing his son to his ward. His ward is Margaret Beaufort, who is the eventual mother of Henry VII. Yep. She's his ward because she's Somerset's niece. So um, her father basically like shit the bed in Normandy and um, comes home and they think probably committed suicide. Um, But she's, you know, she's descended from Edward III. She's got a claim to the throne. So when... Suffolk betrothes her to his son. This raises suspicions that he wants to put his own son on the throne. Parliament has had enough of this, and they draw up um, several charges of treason, and they have him arrested. Margaret convinces Henry, instead of executing him for treason, let's just have him exiled, and then maybe he can come back after everybody calms down. Parliament is furious that this happens, Um, He sets sail, but someone who's not happy with this captures him and executes him at sea. How would having his son marry Margaret Beaufort put his son on the throne? Well, she had a claim to the throne. It's overlooked because she's a woman, but if all the stars align, you know, Suffolk is rising in power, and this is just another way that he's trying to seize power. Yeah. She's also really young at this point. She was seven. Yeah. Yeah. 
That wasn't because she was like fourteen when she had Henry the Seventh. She so. was twelve. Okay. Yeah. Twelve. But she's wow. she's a child at this point. Yeah. So this is just a name only, and it but it does enough to piss everybody off. So he's he's done. So also interesting what happens at this time is as I mentioned, the public is not happy with Henry either. So what you see is a rebellion rises up in Kent with the intention of putting York on the throne. York is not involved. He's he's not involved. But what this tells you is that there's people out there in the public that are already aware of his superior claim, the fact that the king isn't doing so well and they're already looking for change. This rebellion is ultimately unsuccessful. But the other thing that happens is at the first sign of trouble, Henry just fled. And so it demonstrates his inability to deal with the crisis. He didn't stand his fled ground. Where? He just went into hiding. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then in another thing that you see happen is in 1451, the English lose Aquitaine to the French. Which they've had since Eleanor. Eleanor. Yes. And yeah. so that's a big deal. And then, I mean, by 1453, Calais is all that's left of the English territory in France. And we'll get to that like into more detail in a minute. But things are not going well. And Henry is losing territory in France. He's losing public support. And he doesn't really care. But the Duke of York cares. So the Duke of York has had enough. He's been in Ireland, but he comes back to insist that Henry puts him on his advisory council and clean house. He says all these favorites that you're giving land and money to are not doing their job. You need to get rid of everybody. I mean, he went through the household. He was removing people. He just was trying to get rid of all of these Lancastrian hangers-on that weren't doing Henry any favors. He tries to have Somerset arrested, but Margaret and Henry intervene, and that's kind of the end of it. So all the progress that York made with cleaning house is undone when Somerset regains his influence. York's on the outs with everyone else. He's politically isolated, and he can only watch the mess from the sidelines. Basically, at this point, he's screaming into a brick wall and nobody will listen one of the concerns though is the issue of the, the succession so henry and margaret at this point have been married for a long time but they have no children leading the question of who would be henry's heir now the reason why they don't have children is most likely because as i mentioned henry is very religious and on his wedding night the chaplain basically advised him not to have too much sex with his wife. So the theory is like they never did. Like they Mm. did like occasionally, but not enough to conceive a child. So this, and this is kind of like a known thing. Like they don't have an heir. It's unlikely that they will. If this continues, what are we going to do about this? The fear for York is that it's going to be Somerset. Because remember, Somerset is a Beaufort. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that Henry IV has barred the Beauforts from the succession, he's rising so high in Henry's favor that the fear is that he's going to name him as his successor. So there's members of parliament who want Henry to declare York as his heir. And this doesn't go over well with Henry, who doesn't like to be told what to do. And so the actual the man who brings it up gets thrown into the Tower of London, which pisses off Parliament because the whole thing about Parliament is that they're supposed to speak their minds to the king without fear of retribution. 
And so, so he's just failing across the board. Failing across the board. And York at this point's at a loss. He's tried to reason with Henry. He's tried to assert his own influence, all to no avail. France is lost. The kingdom is in debt. And Henry's content to just let it all happen around him. So York decides this best thing to do is to start a campaign of propaganda. So he starts writing to a bunch of the nobles. The idea is to just point out Henry's complete apathy in ruling and the fact that Margaret has this total grasp of power and she's ruling through Henry and she's she's the one playing favorites and she's the one who's encouraging this style of rule. Because really, guys, it's the woman but who's you know the problem. What, you know what's but she funny in this was. case? She actually is. <laughs> she. It's not that she was powerful. It's that she was powerful in the wrong way. She had a complete fundamental misunderstanding of English politics. There was one sample of when um, later on when she's trying to find allies, she goes to the Scots hmm. because France and Scotland are friendly. They're the old alliance. But, like, she forgot she's an English queen and they're supposed to be her mortal enemies. Yeah. And so the, that, that, that episode just represents the fact that she just really doesn't understand the implications of what she's doing. She thinks it's great to gather loyalists around you, but she's targeting her enemies, but she's forgetting that these are dukes in the kingdom. Yeah. They have land and power and armies. And money. And money. So that's what it's happened. so funny because I'm like imagining her like, OK, I'm going to like just go talk to the Scots and everybody's like, you're going the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, she just it's misstep after misstep. And so that's what happens is York also begins to muster an army. So Margaret convinces Henry, OK, York's arming himself. You need to do the same. Did he make his money back at this point? Yeah, I mean, he's got all these land, so it's it's not like he was going to be destitute forever. He was just like really sore about the fact that like he had to sell like really important family jewels just to like pay the soldiers. Mm. Um, Why was that on him? Because Henry never sent him the money he promised he would pay him. Uh. He just sent him to Normandy and forgot he existed. So like I said, York's building an army. Margaret says to Henry, you need to do the same. But York doesn't actually, he doesn't want to fight his king. He's just trying to protect himself and show Henry that he's serious. And so, and, and, you know, by all accounts, neither did Margaret and Henry. So Margaret actually sends peace envoys. And York says, okay, I'll agree to terms. I'm fine. I don't want to fight. But you have to get rid of Somerset. So Henry's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll do that. But Margaret overrules him. She's like, no, no, no. Somerset is your loyal friend. You cannot have him arrested. You need to have York arrested. But Henry's like, no, no, that's a bridge too far. I'm not doing that. So they're kind of at a stalemate. Everybody goes back to London together. Henry pardons the rebels for, you know, raising arms against him. Crisis averted. But not for very long. Yeah. So this is where we get into the direct beginnings of the War of the Roses. And a lot of people say you could even trace it back to this incident because you have York actually, like, raising an army against the king. I like how up to this point, everybody's like, I mean, I don't want to do this. Like, he doesn't, he's and just that's, making that's me do this. That's the thing about York is that by all accounts and from everything that I've read, it's like up to the point where they actually clash on the battlefield, he's telling Henry, I don't want to do this. Like, can you just, all he wanted was for Henry to listen to him and get rid of the sycophants and actually rule the kingdom. 
it's it's interesting because I, th- I think that that's actually true. I don't think that York wanted to be king. I think he just wanted Henry to be a good king. And it was very frustrating because he, he just wasn't able. So after this first crisis with York, everyone is determined to move forward. The Lancastrians need to shore up their position. And they're very well aware of it because this kind of exposed their weaknesses. So Margaret decides, I-, I need to be more popular with the people. So she's going on progress. She's trying to court public opinion. Henry decides, I need some familial support. So he elevates his half-brothers, Edmund and Jasper Tudor, to the peerage. So he makes Edmund Mm. the Earl of Richmond and Jasper the Earl of Pembroke. This makes them both very, very rich and ensures their utmost loyalty. I mean, these guys were staunch Lancastrians to the end of their lives. Um, Literally, I mean, Jasper Tudor is instrumental in putting Henry VII on the throne. As I mentioned, that's getting ahead of ourselves, but I think everybody knows the connections. Um, So they're... They're on board. Another big development comes in April of 1453 when Margaret announces she's pregnant at long last. Congratulations. There's an heir on the way. Everyone's honestly like a little bit shocked, but happy. So Henry and Henry's thrilled. He's finally like, oh, God, I'm finally going to have an heir. Thank God. Well, they don't they don't know that. Right. That it's an heir. Oh, they just assume. Yeah. Uh, of course it's going to be a boy. What do you mean? <laughs> so Henry's reaction is interesting. He's pretty secure now. So what does he do? He appoints everyone York had gotten rid of back to their original positions. He's like, yep, <laughs> thanks. That's we, we almost had a war, but you know what? <laughs> My reaction is going to be, I'm just going to go back to the way things were. So he's just really not. I'm going to be a dad. Let's double and down. <laughs> in October of that year, this is. This is the final straw. The Hundred Years' War comes to an end. And that might sound like a good thing, except for it ended because Bordeaux fell to France and the English are done. The king of France actually let them all go home. He didn't slaughter them like he could have, but they go home with their tails between their legs. The only piece left of France is Calais. And the only reason is because... It's on the other side of the territory owned by the Duke of Burgundy, and they had an agreement that they wouldn't go into that land. I mean, Mm. they just crushed the English. The English are done in France. The English people are very unhappy. They blame Henry, and York definitely blames Henry. I mean, he spent all that time serving Henry in Normandy, spends his fortune maintaining the, the English hold there, No one gets compensated for the land that they lost in England because a lot of these dukes had titles from France. Like a lot of their income was derived from their French holdings. They don't get compensated for the loss of that. Um, So the end of the war is like the final straw. Everybody is like, you know what, Henry, you're a really bad king. And now I don't have my money and you're not even going to compensate me for that. And you're not even sorry. That's not quite true. (laughs) Henry was sorry. In fact, the strain of all of this takes such a toll on Henry that he loses his mind. Literally. He, they, he goes, he goes basically catatonic. They call it now today, they think it was like a catatonic schizophrenic episode. So basically he's not aware of what's going on around him. He can't talk. He's not moving. He's just like in bed. He's just useless. And of course... They don't know how to fix that, Um, but it's a disaster. So the king's in his own world, totally oblivious to the world around him. Margaret is like, oh, crap, this is 
really bad. So she tries to hide it because remember, she's pregnant. And her fear is that if York is aware that Henry is lost his marbles, he would seize power. So what they do is they move him to Windsor to try to just like get him out of the way. And Margaret gives birth to a son, Edward. Not even this snaps Henry out of it. They literally take the baby to him and they're like, here's your heir. And Henry's just chewing on his mouth. I mean, he has no idea. So they can't hide it anymore. And they because what happens is when she gives birth to the baby, they have to summon a council of all the dukes and earls and all the magnates, as they call them, to come declare the baby Henry's heir. They've got to do the whole like Pride Rock ceremony. (laughs) Yeah. And York arrives and he's like, this is a shit show. So he wastes no time gathering power and turning everyone against Somerset because he's like, you're letting this happen. And he also, I think, sees his chance to get Somerset out of the picture. So enter the Earl of Warwick. So we've talked about this guy a little bit when we talked about Edward the Fourth. But he's known as the kingmaker because he's instrumental in what happens next. So he's from the Neville family. And the Nevilles have been feuding with the Percys in the north of England for quite some time. And they're kind of, they've had enough. And that feud isn't relevant to the story, so I'm not going to go into it. But the Nevilles turn to York for help and protection because Richard Neville, the Earl of Warwick, is York's nephew by marriage. And this is kind of a perfect alliance because the Earl of Warwick, I think it's Warwick, is that how we decided we were going to pronounce it? Um, He himself is in a dispute with the Duke of Somerset. So Henry had given a bunch of the Neville land to Somerset. And Warwick was like, wait a second, that's my land. It's all in Wales. And he realizes the king isn't going to do anything about it. And he's a lost cause. So Warwick's like, hey, like, if you help me with my little dispute here, I'll help you. And since... Sorry, can I just remind myself, Somerset is Tudor? Somerset is a Beaufort. And he's the favorite of Margaret and Henry that's got too much power and is sowing all this discord. Sorry. That's okay. I'm like already lost. (laughs) There's a million people. He's a Beaufort. So he's you know, involved, but really shouldn't be as involved as he is. So Warwick's like, listen, York, I will help you out if you help me out. And this is kind of a perfect marriage because Warwick is one of the richest and most powerful men in England. And he's also very charismatic. So York has been screaming into the wind about this king and no one will listen to him. But Warwick is good at spreading the message. He starts spreading rumors that Margaret's son was not Henry's. Mm. And this is actually really easy to do because Henry hadn't acknowledged him because he can't. <laughs> he does right. not even aware that he's alive. But but the common people don't know this. So they're kind of like, why hasn't the king acknowledged his son? Maybe there's some truth to this rumor. He also helps ensure that York is named regent for Henry and not Margaret. Because at this point, they're like, we need a regent. The king's useless. Um, and so they completely exclude Margaret from the proceedings and establish York as regent. The first thing York does is he has Somerset arrested and then he just sets about trying to right the ship. So his main focus as regent was just trying to get the crown out of debt. I thought Somerset killed himself. 
That's Margaret Beaufort's father. This is her uncle, I think. Okay. They're he they were he's also the Duke of Somerset, but it different guy. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's hard when everybody has the same name. But on Christmas Day in 1454, Henry finally wakes up. He just walked into Parliament like, hey guys, I'm here. What's up? What'd I miss? And they're all happy, but also all the progress York has made is undone. So his first order of business is to dismiss York as regent and dissolves Parliament. So all the Lancastrian supporters are happy because York's been cleaning house and, you know, they've been losing all their little favors. Somerset gets released from the tower. York goes back to the north. He's like, I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm just going to leave. So unfortunately, they know Somerset is going to take his revenge. So Warwick learns that Somerset is plotting against York. So he gathers his army around him. And and this is York who's gathering his army. And this is what I mean. It's like he's literally writing Henry letters as he's like marching toward him with an army. Like, I don't want to do this. Can we just come to terms? I really don't want to take up arms against my king. And so like the battle is actually delayed the start of it because they're like trading letters but what happens is the two armies meet on the battlefield at saint albans on may 22nd in 1455 um york is victorious somerset is killed and henry's very injured but they escort him back to london and they haven't taken him off the throne they're just like listen you gotta listen to us so york's political power is finally assured Henry doesn't have a choice but to listen to him. It's such a weird strategy, though, if you think about it. Like, you want your king to think you're still loyal to him, yet you're taking up arms against him. So it's literally it's like, the only way he can make his point. But what's the point? Like, ultimately, though, because yeah. it doesn't matter what he thinks his point is, he's still taking up arms against the king, so your point is always going to be lost because you fought your king. Yeah. I mean, at a certain extent, it was to protect himself because Somerset was plotting against him and it was sort of like a show of force. But then once you show the force, you kind of have to follow through. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't bode well. So, and I guess by all accounts, everyone was just kind of shocked that it even came to this. Like, the battle is over and they're all just kind of like, oh, God, we actually did that. We didn't really mean it, um, you know. Whoopsie. You're still king. <laughs> So Henry is, like, still trying to consolidate his support. Um, So he marries his half-brother, Edmund Tudor, to Margaret Beaufort. So this... She's too young. Yeah, she's too young. She's 12. But this this helps consolidate the power on the Lancastrian side. Because, as I mentioned, she has a really good lineage. He marries her to his half-brother, who he's made the Earl of Richmond. Any issue they have will be staunch Lancastrian supporters. And this is how the Tudors come in yes. to the story. Because um, spoiler alert, she has Henry Tudor at the ripe old age of 12 and never has another child. Um, yeah. And Edmund Tudor dies pretty young too um, in one of these skirmishes. And so at some point, Henry also has another breakdown. So it's not like his mental health is better. He's just, he slips in and out. It's it's really unfortunate. Um, and so York is put in charge and Margaret's really not happy about this. But again, York's mostly focused on just putting the kingdom back on track. After years of uneasy peace. So there's a long time in between 
from this happening and the next skirmish. Um, but they just, they never really get along. And so the fighting breaks out again and Henry regains his senses, dismisses York again. And in 1458, Henry's like, guys, I am so sick of fighting. We're going to have a peace conference. It's like a two month conference. And he makes everybody come and profess their intention to maintain the peace. And it's a total sham because nobody means it. There's just too much enmity on all sides. And unfortunately, Henry's the only person thinking this was successful. It's so strange how, like, every time Henry goes catatonic, York is like, okay, I can, like, fix things. And then Henry wakes up and, like, undoes everything that he tries to do. That must be so frustrating. And (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that because that's kind of, like, the catalyst in the Wars of the Roses. The peace doesn't last and York's had enough. At this point, he's... He's saying, you know what, I'm I'm the rightful king. It's not Henry. I have the better claim. He pulls out genealogy charts. He's telling anybody who will listen, the wrong person is sitting on the throne. And you could argue that Henry drove him to that. He feels like he has no choice. He's like, okay, I recognized you as king. I gave you my loyalty. I tried to let you rule, but you're just too bad at this yeah so the fighting breaks out again and really I'm not going to go into the details of this but it's really has to do with stuff that Warwick was doing in Calais that he shouldn't have been doing um and he gets kind of called to account for it and um you know uh Margaret sort of taking her opportunity to get revenge and he knows it and that just directly leads to more conflict um so that's all you have to know is the conflict breaks out again and at this point york is claiming the throne for himself so several battles follow the most notable being um in july of 1460 the yorkists defeated henry and captured him at the battle of northampton so they remove him from the throne um well they capture him they haven't they haven't removed him yet then the Lancastrians defeated and killed the Duke of York at the Battle of Wakefield that December. So the Duke of York, the man who's single-handedly been trying to get Henry to just be a good king, is dead. And Henry is still captive at that point. Yes, he's still captive. Okay. In February of 1461, Margaret comes in and Henry is rescued at the Second Battle of St. Albans. So, um, he's like, she's like, okay, I got you. This is what I mean. I didn't go too much into this, but I mean, at this point, Margaret is commanding full armies and she's got her son with her who by this point is like 10 years old, but, um, she's, she's like openly running the show at this point for the Lancastrian cause because once she had her son, she didn't, it wasn't really about Henry. It was about her son and his rights, and she didn't want right. his... She's preserving his yes, claim. It's all about her son. In March of 1461, Henry is defeated by Edward of York at the Battle of Towton. So this is Edward IV. And it's funny, because at this point, Henry has a son. So they could all just stop this and be like, okay, Henry, sorry, you're bad at this. We're going to have you abdicate in favor of your son and then have a regency rule for him. But then that doesn't really solve the problem of like these lords that and dukes that have power that like everybody else is like angry about. Because it's not just Henry, it's Margaret. Margaret is just as guilty of favoritism and encouraging these factions. And at this point, York is claiming the throne for himself. 
that, that right trying to work together is is done off the table and yeah. edward of york has been attending these battles with his father since he was like 13 years old so he's he's successful he assumes the yorkist claim margaret flees to scotland edward is crowned edward the fourth henry is held in the tower of london so he's been deposed recaptured for the first time okay so edward is king for a time but as we covered in our episode on elizabeth woodville he has his own problems so if just as a quick refresher the yorks they're the Yorks have a really strong claim to the throne, but there's too many Yorks. There's three brothers who live to adulthood. They're all very powerful. And when Edward marries Elizabeth Woodville, he creates enemies within his own family because mm-hmm. that was the one thing that nobody wanted him to do. And Elizabeth Woodville, her family, former Lancastrians. So listen to that and- episode. As we were talking about with Margaret having no political value to bring to the marriage, Elizabeth has even less. Even less. And her she has a huge family and she spends a long time setting them all up for success. As you do, but this makes a lot of enemies. So Edward, even though he's king, he's got his own issues. And I really recommend listening to that episode if you want to flesh out that side of things. Um, but the highlights here are he falls out with warwick and his own brother george who's the duke of clarence so they form an alliance with margaret and warwick marries his daughter anne to margaret's son edward who's known as edward of westminster after that marriage takes place warwick returns to england with his army and he forces edward the fourth into exile he restores henry to the throne in october of 1470 um, unfortunately for everyone at this point, Henry is simply just not fit to rule. His so Warwick at this point has switched sides. Warwick has switched sides. And this is purely because, if we recall, he did not want, he wanted Edward to marry a foreign princess. I can't remember who it was. Um, and Edward disobeyed him, went behind his back, and married Elizabeth Woodville. And that was the disintegration of their relationship. Because Warwick is all about power, too. I mean, all these people are all about power. Yeah, Warwick is doing this, like, looking out for Warwick. Yeah. Like, he thinks if he makes a York king, then he'll be rewarded, and he is. But then now the, this new king is causing him problems, so he's like, all right, I'm going to go find my power with the other king. Yeah. And he thinks if he marries his daughter to that king, he'll have a lot of control. But like I said, you know, Henry at this point has had several bouts of madness, He's been in hiding. Um, he's he's just not doing well. And uh, he was never a good king to begin with, but now he's like barely mentally competent. So like barely six months later, Edward manages to come back with an army, reconciles with his brother George. They uh, turn around, defeat and kill Warwick at the and the Battle of Tewkesbury is the final victory in this chapter of the War of the Roses. And Edward is back on the throne. Henry's once more imprisoned. But here's the problem is we've had this ping pong back and forth where Edward took the throne, then Henry took it back. Now Edward's back on the throne. What do you do? He's too much of a threat. So it's very, very likely that Edward had him murdered. All we know is that Henry died in captivity. 
it's not likely it was from natural causes. Um, his son, Edward, was killed in the Battle of Tewkesbury. So with Henry's death, this ends the Lancastrian fight, and the Yorks have the throne. For now. Yeah. I thought Henry was killed by a blow to the back of the head. So that's probably what happened, because they did, I think, find his skeleton, and there's evidence of foul play. I mean, it's... It's not likely it's like, that Edward did it himself. He probably ordered the murder, but it's probably likely that he had him killed. He didn't really have a choice. It's not like the other one where they just let him starve to death. Yeah. You know, they could have made the claim, like, they could have let him starve to death and said, oh, he went catatonic again and we couldn't get him to eat. Like, I mean, at this point, this is the end of the Lancastrian claim, according to Edward, because Henry's dead, his son is dead, Margaret of Anjou has fled to France, where she basically died in poverty. There's no one left to take the throne because the Beauforts have been excluded from the succession. Right. So, problem solved, right? Why were they excluded again? Um, so that was uh, Henry IV did that because it was part of shoring up his claim to the throne. So Right, okay. Yeah. Basically, he was like, oh, don't worry about my father. I'm legitimate because of my mother. So in confirming that, he excluded the Beauforts from the throne because their any claim they had would have been through John of Gaunt because they had a different mother. Exactly. I need another flow chart. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, at this point, the Yorks have wiped out a good chunk of the Lancastrians but as we, you know, listen to our episode on Elizabeth Woodville, because the, this at this point, the War of the Roses turns into less of a Lancastrian versus Yorkist claim and York, York, York. Um, the Yorks just right. all start fighting each other. Right. And we'll talk a little more about that. We will. Yeah. So um, that takes us into... And that's when you start getting into the Shakespeare yes. side of things. <laughs> yeah. So next week, we're going to cover... Um, the York side of things. So we will be doing the princes in the tower and Richard the third together, which we did cover a little bit also at the end of that Elizabeth Woodville episode. If you want to kind of refresh before we get more in depth into that. So I hope you enjoyed this. I think it's like really sad. Honestly, when I was reading about this, I just kept thinking like the one thing you see over and over again is you put these babies on the throne and mm -hmm. they just don't develop the ability to think for themselves. Well, no, because they're like from birth surrounded by other men who are trying to use proximity to increase their own power. So these nobles, like these regencies, cause a lot of issues and you end up with weak kings. And then you compound that with like bad decisions, like who they're going to marry and, you know, whether they're going to appropriately thank their nobles for their service and, you know, pay their armies and things like that. And it all seems so easy in hindsight, but on the ground, I mean, if you're a young king at the mercy of this council, your, your wife, your mother, all these people, and you also have been constantly told your whole life that you can do no wrong because you're the king, like... It's a bad mix. Very bad. And also Henry's thing was that he just wasn't interested in ruling. Um, he was just really into prayer and, you know, 
the mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, pursuits of the mind. He really had no interest in military action. He had no interest in politics. He didn't care about money. Like anytime York was like, you have to stop doing this. You have to care about this. It's he just literally didn't care. Yeah, the mental health issues too probably didn't help. Yeah, so what's interesting there is um, Henry the Sixth. So we talked about the intermarriage with the French kings, but his grandfather was Charles the Sixth, who is known as Charles the Mad. Mm. So he had his own issues with mental health, and um, likely Henry inherited that through his mother, Catherine of Valois. Okay. Yeah all that inter intermarriage and uh the french definitely had a lot of mental illness in their family tree and they spread it to the english i mean i think they spread it to all of europe (laughs) pretty much yeah once they started marrying out as well so i you know i said this last time and sort of jokingly but half serious and it's kind of the same it's like you know if only henry had had access to you know, medical care and well, he did. Treatment. They tried everything. No. They tried laxatives. They tried bleeding him. They tried. I'm sure all him. Of that worked really well. <laughs> yeah, they tried um, everything that they could think of. Modern yeah. mental medicine. Yeah. Um, I mean, if this happened you know, today, you'd be put in an intensive mental health ward and pumped full of 18 different medications. You know, <laughs> and and, and, yeah. and even then you might have like a 50% chance of success. So he really, he really, it was unfortunate. Um, It just, you know, even if he'd been, you know, if he, if he'd been the best king in the world, maybe it would have had a different impact, but all it did was just kind of undermine him when he was lucid. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Henry the sixth. So we're, you know, a couple generations in, and we've already had Richard II starve to death, and then we've got um, his cousin, Henry VI, most likely killed by a blow to the head. Um, and if you if you didn't die that way, you died in battle. So, so far, it's not mm-hmm. going so good. Um, but I think it's really interesting, and maybe this is boring for everybody else, but you know, we talk about the interplay between the Hundred Years' War and the Wars of the Roses, but the Hundred Years' War ended and that pretty much started the Wars of the Roses. So you could almost argue it's like the 150 Years' War and the last part was just fought only in England. (laughs) Just sort of like deciding who was at fault for the failures in France. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, the French like also burned their best general apparently at the stake so (laughs) yeah yeah no I mean you know you've got the French winning victories because Joan of Arc is claiming that an angel visited her and told her where to fight so yeah (laughs) it's just like all interrelated but uh that's Henry the sixth for you and um we're gonna do like we mentioned the princes in the tower and Richard the third and um and then after that I don't, I think, I think we're going to, we're going to skip ahead a couple of centuries, right? Yes. So, so stay tuned. I hope you're enjoying the series. Um, Let us know if there's anyone you, you want us to cover who was deposed and uh, you think has an interesting story because we're definitely open to suggestions. And uh, definitely, I guess that leaves us 
Until next time. Yep. Until then. Okay. Monarchast is produced by me, Allie. And me, Claire. And our logo is by Ryan Cooney. If you like our episodes and want to give us a shout out, please rate or review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever your preferred method of podcast listening is. We really appreciate it.